Exodus chapter 12. One, hear the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of, of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head and its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat of it. When you are belt, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you, on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lamb for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin. And touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and, and will not allow the destroy, destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statue for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statue of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired servant may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. And all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall, shall sojourn with you and will keep and would keep the Passover of the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. 
Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns with you. I know that may not be the most exciting scripture reading you've done this week, but I am excited to preach it as usual. (laughs) Um, What if I were to tell you that God loves rituals? Most of us kind of have an adverse reaction to that, don't we? We say, no, 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 You, you don't understand. Christianity isn't about a a bunch of rituals and religion. It's about relationship with God. We might even say God hates rituals. God doesn't, doesn't love hollow, mindless rituals. And to that I would say, you're right. God doesn't love hollow, mindless rituals. In fact, Um, In uh, both Isaiah and Amos, um, in God's word, we we see God say some pretty strong language about rituals. Isaiah 1.14 says, Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Amos 5.21, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. I mean, both of those are startlingly strong language that that God uses, talking about rituals, about these feasts. And many of us would say the same thing as God. We hate watching people attend church every Sunday, but then they don't cherish God at all. They don't seem to have any affection for him. We watch people take communion, but then they have no desire to obey the commands of God when they leave these four walls. And we say, what hypocrisy, what religion, what rituals. We hate to see that. Maybe we even see it in ourselves sometimes, and we hate that too. And so we have come to despise and reject anything that resembles a ritual in our lives. But there's something interesting that I want to show you here from Exodus 12 that was just read by Alan. And and I hope you, you noticed it, but if not, hopefully you can just kind of remember what he read. In the middle of God doing the Passover, right? This first Passover, bringing Israel into relationship with him. God gives rituals. So in the middle of of bringing them into this this new relationship, God gives them new rituals that they are to now carry out and perform. So either God is very confused or there's something we're missing. Either God is, 
on the one hand, hates rituals in and of themselves, but then commands rituals, and, or maybe we're just missing something. Now, I'll just tell you, in Isaiah and Amos, they weren't talking about, God wasn't talking about the rituals themselves. If you read uh, those in context, it's talking about the way the people were doing the rituals. They were hollow. They were mindless. They were merely to, uh, you know, soothe their conscience while they went against God's commands. And say, well, I'm okay. Me and God are good because I do these rituals. And that simply is not the case. But what I want to tell you and what I want to show you from Exodus chapter 12 today is that The rituals are not the problem. The problem is with us. If the rituals rob us from relationship with God, it's because we are not doing them with the right heart. The problem isn't in the command. The problem isn't in the rituals because God wouldn't command anything that is not good. What I want to show you today is that rather than suck the life out of your relationship with God, God gives rituals to strengthen and to sustain your relationship with God. These are uh, what I'm calling, uh, as the sermon title, rituals of relationship. And we need to keep those two things together. Because yes, Christianity is about relationship But God has given us rituals to serve that relationship. You say, okay, I I, I get your logic there. I see that from God's word that he, at the same moment as bringing them into relationship, gives them rituals. But how could rituals possibly serve a person's relationship with God? Well, let's look to Exodus, to the text, to God's word, to see if we can find any clues. We see there in Exodus uh, chapter 12, verse 14, if you want to look in there in your Bible or up on the screen. 12, 14, speaking of the Passover feast, God says, This shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. This shall be for you a memorial day. Tell me, what is a memorial day? What what, what is a memorial day about? I mean, why do we have memorial days? Why do we celebrate Independence Day? Why do we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day or, you know, Columbus Day? All these things. Why do we have memorial days? What are they supposed to do for us? Here's the first thing I want us to understand about these rituals of relationship. Number one, the rituals were reminders. They were to be reminders. Let's just be honest for a second. We as humans are incredibly forgetful. I'm 34 years old, but (laughs) every day that I live, I realize how forgetful I am becoming. If you were to go into my office uh, at home, not this office, um, you would see that it is covered with sticky notes and little notebooks of reminders, to-do lists that I've written down. Every single week, I have 
four reminders go off on my phone on a, on a weekly basis to remind me to do something. You might say, but you do them every week. Why do you need a reminder, right? Like, why do you need a reminder for a weekly thing? Because I'm human. Because I'm forgetful. Because I'm flawed. But that's all of us. We are all so prone to forgetfulness. But now we see God's kindness in these rituals of relationship. I mean, think about it. God never forgets anything. Sometimes I struggle to handle the, the, the antics of my children, but man, I don't know how God looks down on us with any sort of love and mercy. God never forgets anything. He knows everything, everything that has ever happened, everything that is happening. He knows it. He remembers it. And yet we forget things so easily, but God gives us rituals of relationship. You might say, well, what were these rituals of relationship to remind Israel of, specifically the Passover? What was it to remind Israel of? Well, again, we find another clue in verse 27. It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. You can kind of see up on the screen that I see two main things that God wants to remind them of through these rituals. First, God wants to remind them of their condition before God stepped in. Notice the words in orange up there on the screen. This is the Lord's Passover. It's about when we were in Egypt. There was a day when they were in Egypt. They were enslaved. They were oppressed. They were murdered. This was their condition. And they were hopeless and helpless. Get this. Everyone who was a part of the Passover, every Israelite, they were born a slave. They had been there for 430 years. Somewhere along the way, they became slaves. Every single person that came out of there was born a slave, and they were destined to die as a slave. God wanted them to remember their condition before he stepped in. But then secondly, we see there uh, in the green, when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses this is the but God. <laughs> I was enslaved. I was headed to death. But God struck the Egyptians and spared our houses. So that's the second thing God wanted to remind, wanted to remind them of. What he had done for them. God had stepped into their hopelessness, into their helplessness, into their slavery and he had struck the Egyptians. He had freed them from their bonds. And he had brought them into a new life-giving relationship with himself. This is what God had done. And they needed to be reminded. It's interesting that um, as we go through the, the book of Exodus, 
it's going to become quite plain very quickly that they need to be reminded of their relationship with God. The second their circumstances get even a, a little bit hairy, a little shaky, they are going to begin to complain about God. They've forgotten their relationship with God. They've forgotten where they come from. Slavery, oppression, certain death. And they've forgotten what God did. He stepped in graciously, undeservedly, struck down their oppressors, and frees them. They need to be reminded, and this is what we need as well. As Christians today, we have rituals of relationship for this very same purpose. I, I'll just give you a, a few that we have. Uh, God has commanded us as Christians to gather together each week. You know, Hebrews uh, 10, 25 talks about not neglecting to gather together. We are commanded to gather together. Why? Because here at church, and hopefully all across the country, all over the world, people should be reminded of their condition before God stepped in. And people should be reminded of what God has done for them in Christ Jesus. That is what we do. That's what we celebrate at church each week. And that's a ritual of relationship God has given us to remind us of the foundations of our relationship. I think also of baptism. We did some baptism interviews this morning. Well, what's that reminding us of? Well, that, that's reminding us of how a dead person is raised to walk in newness of life. Their, their old man, their old sinful man is buried with Christ in baptism, and they are raised to walk in newness of life. I mean, that, that's the same thing. They remember their old condition, but what God has done for them, and it's a reminder and a symbol for all of us. And then we have the communion that we will take at the end of the service today, the Lord's Supper. Remember what Jesus says in Luke 22. Do this in remembrance of me. As we partake of the bread and the fruit of the vine, we are to say, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. I was the lost. I was the enslaved to sin. I was the one destined to certain death. That was my condition. But Jesus came. His body was broken. His blood was poured out for me. He stepped in. He changed my condition. He brought me into relationship with him. Life-giving, joy-giving relationship with him. These rituals are not vain, they are not hollow, they are not to be done mindlessly. They are meant to be reminders. They should serve and strengthen and sustain our relationship with God. And we forsake the rituals God has given us to our own detriment. We miss the reminders. We miss the reminders of, of what our relationship with God is built on. But actually, when you come to think of it, and if you keep reading through the text, it's not just you that suffers when you omit the, the rituals God has given. It's not 
just to your detriment. It is actually to the detriment of others as well. Look at what it says in uh, verses 26 and 27. Talking about the, the Passover, uh, the, this ritual they were to do every year. It says there, And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the, the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. Do you see the point there? These rituals... These God-given rituals were God-given opportunities to pass the truth about us and the truth about God to the next generation. And so that's, that's point number two, if you're following along in your outline. The rituals were opportunities. The rituals were, were not to, to separate us from relationship, rather... They are to pull people into relationship with God. People who do not yet know him, do not yet know what he's done, have not yet trusted in him. God is not satisfied with any one generation knowing what he's done. God is not satisfied with any one generation trusting in him and inheriting eternal life. He's not satisfied with that and we should not be either. It should be the aim, the goal of our lives to share of what we've been given. To pass on what has been placed inside our hearts, this eternal life. And that's what the Passover was for. I mean, you just think about kind of the scene that's painted for us in these verses. I'll go back to him there. And when your children says to you, what do you mean by this service? Let me translate that into what I hear kids say. Why? Kids' favorite word, right? Why? Why, why do we kill this Passover lamb? Why do we eat these bitter herbs? Why do we eat this unleavened bread? And what was the, the father or the mother or whatever to say? Well, child, there was a day when your daddy and your mommy were slaves there was a day that we were hopeless and helpless, destined to death, but God stepped in. God stepped in with his, his mighty hand. God stepped in with his saving power. And God brought mommy and daddy into relationship with him. That was the purpose of the Passover, explicitly from Exodus chapter 12. Far from excluding relationship, this is encouraging others to come into relationship with God. The Passover was to be used as an opportunity to invite others into relationship with God. And we have these very same opportunities, Christians. We have these very same opportunities that God has woven into the fabric of our Christian lives, if we will, but do these rituals of relationship. Kids are curious. I mean, it's just a given there uh, in, in, in that first verse, in verse 26. It's just a given when your children say to you. <laughs> Kids are curious. They're going to say, why are you doing these weird things? My, 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 my neighbor doesn't go to church. Dad, why do we go to church every Sunday? 
Dad, how come some people are taking a bath in the middle of church up on the stage? How come there's snack time and you, you guys eat crackers and drink? Why do you guys do these weird things? And that should be an opportunity for all of us, right? Son, daughter, your, your, your daddy was a slave to sin. Your daddy was, was dead in his trespasses and sins. Your daddy was destined for hell. But Christ Jesus stepped in. God stepped in and he sent his son. And that's what this is to be a picture of and a reminder of that his body was broken for us. His blood was poured out for us. And, and he brought me into a relationship, a life-giving relationship. Son, daughter, would you like to have that type of relationship with God too? Son, daughter, you know how we keep telling you to stop hitting your sister, but you do it anyway? That's because you're a slave to sin. You need this salvation. You need this deliverance. You need this relationship with God. But let me tell you more about it. I mean, do you hear what a wonderful opportunity that is through the strangeness of communion and the curiosity of a child? This is a beautiful gift of God. It's a ritual of relationship. Purpose to bring others into that same relationship. And by the way, that's, I didn't even, uh, I don't know if I had it. Anyways, doesn't matter. There it is. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. Paul says this explicitly about communion. For as often as you drink it, uh, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is what God has given us just as explicitly as with the Passover. It is an amazing opportunity. Now, it was interesting, uh, last week after the service, I, I was asked a, a question. I was asked, why do you think the Passover lamb had to be roasted on a fire rather than boiled or eaten raw. Hmm, that, that is strange. Well, and then why did it have to be cooked with its heads, its legs, its inner parts? You know, why did, why did God give them so much detail on this stuff? Why did the rituals include so much detail that doesn't seem to have any real connection to that first Passover? What's going on there? If, if, if these rituals aren't pointing to something that happened in the past, if these details aren't pointing to something that happened in the past, then what's the point of them? Well, the point is this. The rituals were pointers. The rituals are not only to be reminders of what God has done in the past. The rituals were to be uh, pointers to what God was going to do in the future. Now, the people of Israel would not have understood all of this. They wouldn't have known what all these details pointed to. And, and so I, I freely admit that, that Israel wouldn't have known or under, have understood all these things. But God did know. God did understand. And God is the one who prescribed these rituals and God put in these, these strange specifics and these details. Why? 
Because the God of history was pointing forward to what he was going to do in history. See, the Passover lamb wasn't a point. It was a pointer to the true Passover lamb, right? John 1.29, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about he is our Passover lamb, Jesus. It was all pointing to the ultimate Passover accomplished in Jesus Christ. The rituals were but shadows of a coming reality. And so there were all these pointers. There were all these pointers that were pointing not, not backward, but forward to what Jesus would be like. I'll just give you a few examples. We could spend way too long on this. Exodus uh, 12, 5 says, Your lamb shall be without blemish. I mean, why, why did it matter that they had a lamb without blemish? Isn't it more convenient to sacrifice a lamb that's like maybe got a broken leg or you know, just kind of deformed in some way, like it's going to taste the same. Why a lamb without blemish? Well, because the Passover lambs were pointing to Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, 1 Peter 1.19. It would not have been a proper picture, a proper pointer to have lambs without or to have blemished, flawed lambs, because the coming Passover lamb was going to be perfect. Why? Because we needed a perfect Savior. We needed a perfect sacrifice. We needed a perfect substitute, because we are imperfect. And so the lamb without blemish was pointing to the perfect Savior that was coming. Another one I want to give you is uh, Exodus 12.22, it says, Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. Now, if you're following along in your Bible, you'd notice that I put that word strike in there. In the ESV, it's the word touch. But in the very next verse, the word strike is used twice. It's the same exact Hebrew word. And it is very clearly the meaning of the word. So I'm, I'm saying I believe that's what it is here. They were to strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. Why so specific? Why did it need to be this striking that happened? Well, you see there on the screen, Isaiah 53.5. He, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Jesus was going to be pierced as they struck nails through his hands and through his feet. It was not going to be this mere touching of his hands with a nail. They were, going to, they were to strike the blood. And where were they, they to strike the blood? It said there, um, back in verse 22, Strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. I kind of have a picture of what this might have looked like. I doubt their door was quite so fancy, but you get the idea. What do you see there? You see blood on the two doorposts, almost like outstretched hands. You see the blood on the lintel, the top of the doorway there, almost like where his 
head was pierced with the crown as they crushed it onto his skull. What was God pointing to? Why did it matter what they did with the blood? Why not cover the whole door? God was giving a pointer to the coming of this crucifixion, this cross that Jesus would bear for us, the way he would be struck, the way he would be pierced for us, nailed to a cross. And Dave even reminded me this week, Pastor Dave reminded me, crucifixion, the cross that was symbolized here, wasn't even invented for hundreds of years. When this Passover occurred, when God gave these rituals, there wasn't even a such thing as a cross that people would be crucified on. And yet God was pointing forward to what would happen, this Roman form of execution. And there we have it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, there are Romans. They crucify him. God knew what was going to happen. God knew the greater reality that this Passover lamb was pointing to. And he showed it to us. Well, what about what the person asked last week? I, I, I'm not positive on this one, but this is my best uh, guess here. Exodus 12, 8. They shall eat the flesh of the lamb that night roasted on the fire. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. Why did the lamb have to be roasted on fire? Why couldn't it be eaten raw or, or boiled in water? Here, here's what I believe. I believe it's because God knew that the true Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, was going to endure his fiery wrath for us. And so this lamb was to endure fire. We see that, I put 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. You see how, how the relationship is tied in there, by the way? There's this fire that was going to bring us to God, inflicted on the Passover lamb, the true Passover lamb. And why with the head, legs, and inner parts? I was thinking about this too. Why, why couldn't they cook it you know, separate? Why couldn't they just cook part of the lamb? Well, because Jesus' payment for sin, his atoning work was not partial. It was absolutely complete. It was salvation to the uttermost. And so again, don't, don't separate this lamb. Cook it with its head, its legs, its inner parts. Because this coming salvation, this coming atonement will be complete. Again, way too many pointers for me to go through in one sermon. You can, I would even recommend I, that you, you study more on this passage and see all these other beautiful pointers its bone must not be broken. John will pick up on that one later in the Gospels. But even in the rituals God has given us, he has given them a, a reminding quality, right? Communion, baptism, church, a reminding quality of our condition and what he's done for us. He's given a, a quality of opportunity to them, that there are opportunities to share what he has done and to bring others into relationship with him. But even our, our uh, rituals as Christians are also pointers. When we gather together as a church every single week, 
it is a picture, it is a pointer to the day when we worship God together before the throne in God's kingdom. I mean, it's going to be a powerful day. You read the book of Revelation and you see a great, vast multitude that no one could number, every tribe, nation, tongue, singing to God. And it, we're a picture of that. We're a pointer of that. This ritual that we do says, I can't wait to do this for eternity. I'm not saying all we're going to do in heaven is sing, by the way, but it will be a highlight. I think about Baptism, it pictures our, our spiritual resurrection, raised to walk in newness of life. But does it not also point to our coming bodily resurrection when we will see him and we will be like him because we see him as he is? Our bodies will be made perfect like Christ's resurrection body. The ritual is also a pointer, it's hopeful. And then I think about the Lord's Supper this is so, so good. This is interesting. Matthew 26, 29. Oh, what did I do there? I don't know where I am. It doesn't matter. Matthew 26, 29. I don't know where it is. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 26, 29, okay? This is right after Jesus gives the Lord's Supper. He says this to his disciples. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So Jesus gives them the Lord's Supper, teaches them, do this in remembrance of me. Then he says, I tell you, I, I won't drink of this fruit of the vine again until we drink it anew together in my Father's kingdom. And so every time we take communion, it is to point us forward to the marriage feast. You say, what marriage? Well, the bride is us, the church. And we will be adorned with perfection, adorned with beauty for our groom, Christ Jesus. And there will be a feast that will put to shame all other feasts. And this will be our experience. This is our hope. This is what we're pointed to as we take communion. These are rituals of relationship. They remind us of our, our relationship with God. They're opportunities to spread that relationship to others and they point to the coming nature, the coming hope, the coming glory of our relationship with God in the future when it is understood in fullness, experienced in fullness. Now, there is one final thing I want us to think about before we take communion together today, because I don't know if you noticed it when Alan read, there, there, there's a part of this, this uh, ritual that it appears we are disobeying. Look at it uh, on the screen or in your Bible, Exodus 12, 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever you shall keep it as a feast I mean forever is a long time right <laughs> we're, we're kind of like still in forever 
When's the last time you did a, a Passover feast? It's, it's known as the Seder, by the way. When, when's the last time you've, you've done a Passover Seder? I mean, you could even ask, how come we as a church don't do the Passover Seder together? You know, uh, on the 14th day of the month of Abib, you know, that they were commanded. Why aren't you guys as a church being irresponsible? Aren't you encouraging us to disobey the command of God? Well, here's what we need to understand. We are being obedient and we are being obedient because we do partake of the new Passover meal. We need to know that number four, the rituals were transformed. The rituals were transformed in Christ. Specifically today, I'm talking to us about the Passover. We were commanded to keep the Passover for all generations as a statute forever. And we are in the Lord's Supper, in communion. See, I put up there for you uh, uh, the Last Supper. This is when Jesus instituted communion. They wouldn't have had a table, by the way, but whatever. You talk to Da Vinci about it. Um, Jesus, at the Last Supper, so he takes his disciples into an upper room. And they have sort of uh, their own little private uh, Passover ceremony. And that, that's what they're doing in the upper room. But in the middle of this ceremony... Jesus doesn't talk about the lamb. He doesn't talk about the, the, the Passover lamb. He talks about himself. And rather pointing to, to like the bitter herbs or anything, he, he picks up the bread. He says, this, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is poured out for you. And it may even be more important to notice that in Luke twenty two twenty, this is in that part. He says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus was transforming the whole world and he was transforming this ritual of the Passover. This is the new covenant. This, this blood, this, this fruit of the vine symbolizes my blood, which is purchasing, initiating, putting us into a new era. I'm bringing in the new covenant and the symbol, rather than the lamb and the bitter herbs and, and the striking the door, the symbol will be this broken bread and fruit of the vine. It's interesting, uh, even, even Paul talking to the Colossian churches, people were intimidating them. How, how come you don't keep these religious rituals like we're commanded? He says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so, in the new Passover, we're not just celebrating those Passover lambs and the, the doors with the blood on them and the deliverance from Egypt. That's, that's not all that we're celebrating we're celebrating the new Passover. We're celebrating the lamb that was slain, the one that was truly without blemish, the one that could truly save us to the uttermost because he would bear our sins fully. That is what we celebrate. We celebrate the greater Passover that the old Passover was but a shadow. 
So we are being obedient, friends, as we take the communion. We are keeping this statute forever. Why? Because we're doing it in remembrance of him, the Passover lamb. And we are to use it as an opportunity. Parents, make sure your kids know what these strange rituals are about. Don't let them just, you know, go through the motions. Don't let yourself go through the motions. It's an opportunity to spread the gospel to the next generation or anyone else who might be curious. And friends, this communion table is a pointer. We will not always be sitting here tired. We'll not always be sitting here aching. We'll not always be sitting here tempted with sin. We'll not always be, be trying to commune with our Father and with our Savior. In these broken bodies, there will be a day that we see Him face to face, cleansed of sin, perfect bodies, and we will worship Him. We will enjoy Him, and it's going to be good. This is what communion is about. And so if you are a Christian today, if you have trusted in the new Passover lamb, this communion is for you. You're welcome to partake of it. In a moment, I'm going to pray. Sonny's going to come up here and move the, the trays here in just a moment. And then you can, you can take some time to reflect in your seat. It's going to be quiet in here, but that's okay. Quiet's not a bad thing. Reflect in your seat about what this means. Don't let it be a hollow, vain ritual. Don't let it be the type of ritual God hates. Let it be a ritual of relationship. Father God, forgive us for letting the rituals you've given become hollow and dead to us. Forgive us if we've even abandoned the rituals you've given us that were meant to foster relationship with you. God, we are so thankful that you have given us rituals of relationship. We thank you that you continuously remind us of our condition before you stepped in and what you did about it entirely changing our state, entirely bringing us from slavery to sin and giving us a relationship with you. And thank you, Lord, for giving us this opportunity to proclaim the death, burial, resurrection, and salvation that Christ Jesus accomplished through this communion, God. Lord, and I thank you for pointing us to the great future hope we have. So many of us are hurting. So many of us are struggling. But there will be a day when we drink this fruit of the vine with you anew in your Father's kingdom. And so we look forward to that, God. In Jesus' name, amen.